<clears throat> right then. The cassette of synthetic Charles Dickens blood is being kept in a cryogenic freezer in a customised room in a private storage facility in central Adelaide. The facility is called Q-Volts. It's an extremely exclusive, high-end company. It occupies the 10 subterranean floors of a high-rise building known locally as the Black Stump. And what else? Oh yeah, it's nigh-on impregnable. There's only one way into the facility, a small ground floor entrance with a security cage and a metal detector. No electronic equipment is allowed beyond the lobby into the facility, period. Clients can only visit by appointment and any potential new client to even get in the front door requires a personal recommendation from an existing Vault user. Getting an existing client of QVaults to recommend us is going to be next to impossible without access to QVault's client list. And even if we could get access to that list, every single client is going to be a multi-millionaire. We're unlikely to find someone that we can get close enough to in time, let alone someone that we could bribe or coerce into helping us. But then again, even if we could get that personal recommendation and use that to get through the security cage, there's at least nine security guards and five clerks, any of which could pull the alarm on us. However, it's once we get down into the subterranean vault levels that things really start to get tricky. The Q-Vault facility has 50 separate vaults, including an ultra-secure bullion vault spread over its 10 subterranean levels. To make things extra complicated, the layout of these subterranean levels is specifically designed to disorientate and confuse any would-be robber. The whole thing is a maze. Corridors that branch over and over, doors that go nowhere. In fact, almost every fucking door is a fake door. There's no lifts, only one staircase between each floor, and it's on a different location on every level. The architecture of the building itself is essentially one big cipher designed to keep strangers out. It's basically one big fucking duck vagina. There's no maps, no blueprints. The only map that exists is the mental one in the heads of the people who work there. And they're extremely well-trained, so I doubt we'll get that information out of them by force. Also, I've promised certain members of the team that we would do this without any violence whatsoever. So that's off the table. And anyway, even if we manage to find the special vault with the cryogenic freezer, the vault's still gonna have a magnetic lock that needs a security card to bypass. And even if we did bypass that lock and get into the vault, we'd still need to grab the blood, get all the way back out again through the labyrinth and past the guards in less than 10 minutes or the blood's gonna coagulate and the whole thing will be fucked. So we've got to get the blood immediately back into cryogenic storage and then somehow get it all the way to London for the sale. So, yeah, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. I would not describe this job as easy peasy. And yet, it is not impossible. There is a way to pull off this job as long as you have in your crew a Norwegian diplomat, 
an Australian radio presenter, an orienteering champion, a genetic biologist, a podcaster, and two actors, one of which has previously worked as a stuntman. And it just so happens, we do have those people in our crew. We do. We do be do. We do be do be do be. So, seeing as time is off the essence, let me lay it out for you. Plan-like. Imaginary. Camera fades in on a row of storage units in Adelaide. A man opens one of the units, revealing a grimy old ambulance inside. The man turns back to reveal Anjana standing behind him with a large roll of money. Cut to Eugene and Pavlo in a hotel suite across town, changing into expensive tailored suits. Pavlo straightens his tie while Eugene practices his accent in the mirror. Cut to Oslo, Norway, early evening, where at the exact same moment, Noma and Rolf, both in black tie, are stepping into the back of a chauffeur-driven car. Cut back to Adelaide. It's five in the morning here, and Ben is entering the premises of Nova 91.9, ready to prep for his breakfast radio show. Ben joins his co-host Liam in the studio. Liam makes some joke about Ben looking ill this morning. Ben nods, nervously checking the clock over Liam's shoulder. Cut to another clock, same time. It's on the wall of a coffee shop, directly across the road from the black stump. I, Ross, am the sole patron of the cafe at this hour. Sitting in the window seat, laptop open, playing solitaire, wearing a bushy false beard and Art Garfunkel wig. I tap some keys, then speak quietly into my headphone mic. Okay, Noma, I say. I'm recording your feed now. Give me a little bump. 9,000 miles away, in the back of a Norwegian embassy vehicle, Noma adjusts the corsage on her evening dress. How's that? She says. Mm-hmm, yep. Like crystal. I say. I think I can even hear Rolf's tummy rumbling. Rolf pipes up in the background. Fuck off. I'm saving myself for the opening banquet. Trust me, these retreats really lay it on for the opening night. Cut to an aerial shot of Rolf and Noma's car, arriving at the armed perimeter of Losby God's Manor, host of the 2021 Oslo Forum, Norway's annual peace conference for international conflict mediators and high-level decision-makers. Rolf nods at the security guard. All right, Thomas, says Rolf. Good to see you again. Another year already. Mr. Willie Hansen, says the guard. I just need to check the accreditation for your guest, if that's okay. Rolf's face begins to shade. Well, this woman is my personal guest. I, I cleared her with the embassy myself. I'm aware of that, sir. I just need to see some form of ID, if that's all right, madam. Yeah, of course, says Noma, pulling a card from her clutch bag. Camera close up on Noma's ID, 
as she hands it to the guard. Next to her face, it reads, Professor Karen Window, Lecturer in Human Rights, British University of Bummington. The guard returns the card. Thank you, Professor Window. Welcome to Norway. As their car moves slowly up the driveway, my voice chirps in Noma's earpiece. We really should have spent longer workshopping our fake names. Yep, says Noma. So Noma, once you get in the front door, you're only going to have uh, 1 hour 15, 120 at the absolute maximum to get those lines from Peter Keith, okay? I know that's less time than we planned, but here in Australia, it's, it's already 6.30 tomorrow. Don't worry, says Noma. You are now in the hands of Professor Karen Window, and trust me, she's a fucking no-nonsense kind of woman. She's going to get you your lines. Okay, then. I'm liking Karen already. Thank you. I've based her character on the defense attorney I played on the HBO series The Undoing. Oh, yeah. You were the best part of that show, you know. Acting is a team game, but thank you, mate. By now, the car has reached the resort entrance. Noma and Rolf exchange a look, then exit. Cut to the hotel reception, filled with delegates all dressed in black tie. There's just a few minutes left to mingle and drink before the commencement speech of the conference. Can you see him? Says Noma to Rolf. I can't see him. Rolf coughs pointedly, then wiggles his eyebrows. The camera follows Rolf's gesture across the room, zooming in to find Australian oil magnate Peter Keith standing at the bottom of the central staircase, having a pina colada with Kofi Annan. Got him, says Noma, downing a glass of champagne and one. Right then, I think it's time for the frog to meet the fucking blender, don't you? Cut back to Australia. Ben, sitting in the Nova 91.9 studio. The breakfast show is in full swing. Liam is taking a call from a listener about an amusing misheard song lyric. I wonder, says Liam, if you really tried to build a city on sausage rolls? I mean, what kind of infrastructure problems is that going to lead to? Ben checks the clock again. 6.47am. Ben! says Liam. Care to comment? A city, financed, governed, policed, by sausage rolls? What do you think of that? Ben wipes his brow. Uh, he stammers. Sorry, Liam, I kind of zoned out for a second. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, I, uh, I had this weird idea last night before going to bed and I, I can't stop thinking about it. It's, um, it's making me a little distracted. Do you mind if I, um, Maybe if I just took a second and uh, told you and the listeners uh, about it, because um, <laughs> I feel maybe if I just said this out loud, then I could just get out of my head and move past it. Liam checks his notes, then gives Ben a confused look. Uh, well, says Liam, I don't see why not. Okay, says Ben. This is going to sound a bit weird, but I was up all night last night <laughs> wondering... If it were possible for us 
right here on this show to set <laughs> some kind of world record attempt for the largest ever synchronised Marilyn Monroe skirt blow. <laughs> Does that make sense? No, says Liam. You know, I mean, well, what, this is what, you know, says Ben. Okay, okay, let me explain. You know that photo of Marilyn Monroe getting a skirt blown up? Obviously, says Liam. Well, says Ben. Did you know that you can recreate that iconic photo yourself just by laying a high-powered fan or air conditioner flat on its back and then standing over it? It's a Gen Z thing. Kids do it on TikTok. Apparently it's called Marilyn-ing? Monroeing. Marilyn-ing Monroeing. Liam holds up a notepad with a question mark and a drawing of a cheesed-off face. Anyway, continues Ben, last night I was wondering what if at the end of the show today we played Happy Birthday, Mr. President. That's the song they do it to on TikTok. And for the length of the song, we tried to get every single one of our listeners to straddle their home AC and give it a bit of the old seven-year itch. Anyone can do it. It doesn't matter. Even if you haven't got a dress, you could do it with a kilt or, you know, you could fashion yourself a sarong. Just, just go wear underpants. That's the only rule, I think. Several members of the Nova production team have now congregated outside the studio door, which seems to be jammed. I tell you what, says Ben, avoiding Liam's eye contact. I've thought about it now, and we're definitely going to do this today. At 8.55 this morning, just before the end of the show, we're going to do it. And if you participate and upload a video of you straddling your AC and hashtag it Ben and Liam, we will send each and every one of you a $50 gift card. That's how much we want this world record attempt to happen. I think we need to clear this with legal, says Liam. I, I have cleared it with legal, says Ben. When, says Liam. I did it just now, says Ben. We're doing this anyway. Here's Kasabian. Liam kills both mics and throws off his headphones. All right, says Liam. What's going on, mate? You're going to tell me what this is all about or not? Because you're being weird, man. Is this like another one of your pranks? Like that time you commissioned a nude painting of me with a really tiny penis? You see, I, 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 I just feel like you're... I feel like you're exploiting the fact that our working relationship is founded on keeping secrets from each other for the purposes of practical jokes. You know, like we are still mates and colleagues, so that, you know, that does require trust on some level. So just please, just tell me. I just need to know, like, is this a bit? Are you doing a bit? Liam points to the door. I mean, those people from management trying to break down the studio door right now, are they also, are, are, are they in on the bit? I only ask because if this isn't a joke, Ben, I, I think you might be about to get us both fired. Ben keeps his head down, trying to block out Liam's voice. Ben, says Liam. Come on, Ben. Ben looks up at the wall clock once more. Come on, man. Ben. Ben. 
cut back to Oslo. Noma is now talking with the Australian oil magnate Peter Keith. Thankfully, Kofi Annan has fucked off elsewhere. Uh, yes, there's a panel tomorrow on East Timor, says Keith. I'm here to participate in it. At Presto, we've stepped up our humanitarian aid programme. We're not the ruthless bastard we were back in the 80s and 90s. No, this is a new responsible era of oil mining. Hmm, says Noma. So I imagine your job doesn't leave much room for socialising, yes? Yes, says Peter. I'm extremely busy right now. How do you find Norwegians, says Noma. Peter shrugs. I think Norwegians are, well, beautiful. Some of the prettiest women in the world, says Peter. Really, says Noma. So, uh, if two Norwegian women came over here right now and said to you, uh, sorry, what's your name again? Um, Peter. Peter who? Peter Keith. So, yeah, if they came over here right now and they said to you, Peter Keith, we've been looking at you from over there and we've decided that we would like to have a look at your balls. Now, what would you say to that? Ah, uh, sorry. They want to look at my testicles. Yes, your balls, says Noma. And your response in full would be... While the oil man struggles through his answer, Rolf Willie Hansen deftly pickpockets Peter Keefe's mobile phone from his suit jacket, then backs away towards the men's lavies. Well, says Peter, rubbing his forehead, I'd say... Hello, ladies, for you two girls. I'll happily show you my nads if first you show me your boobies. How about that? Okay, fantastic, says Noma. Okay, uh, end of that thought experiment. Uh, new conversation topic. I hear that you're a big Charles Dickens fan. Um, yeah, says Peter. I've got a bit of an unhealthy obsession with Dickens. I need to get over it, frankly. And? Says Noma. And what? Says Peter. What's the most expensive thing you've collected? Don't push him, Noma. Actually, says Noma. Let's change the subject. I think you might know my friend Ian. Ian? Says Peter. Yeah, Ian. Says Noma. He's a pole vaulter. You must remember Ian. In fact, he said the two of you had an appointment arranged last week. I don't know what it was. He said you were going to go look at something together. Peter stares back, dumbfounded. Uh, last week I was horse riding in Italy. I definitely didn't have an appointment arranged with a pole vaulter. <laughs> Noma's eyes are piercing. So, she says... Are you saying that my friend Ian was talking bull? Well, I think he must be confused, says Peter. But do you think he's talking bull, says Noma? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't put it like that. If it's bull, call it out. I won't be offended. Say bull. Noma, we're running out of time. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I don't know. Noma grabs his collar. Say the word bull. Say it. Say bull. Bull. Noma lets go. Peter, it's been lovely talking to you, mate. Enjoy your rest of the time at the conference. Noma turns and quickly rejoins the crowd. She touches her earpiece, 
You get all that? She whispers. Cut to me, still in the coffee shop window, frantically punching keys on my laptop. I'm working on it, just give me a second, I say. I just have to cut up his responses and uh, rearrange them, just like I did back in episode 20 of Imaginary Advice when I cut up the voice of radio broadcaster John Humphreys into syllable-sized chunks and reconstructed it so it sounded like he was doing a ridiculous beat poem. Just bear with me. Come on, we don't have time for this, Ross. I know, I know. Eugene needs those edits now. Fuck's sake, just give me a second. I blur into a silhouette, the camera refocusing on the street opposite the cafe. In the distance, we see Eugene and Pavlo walking down the road, dressed in pinstripe suits and fake moustaches. Both men enter the skyscraper opposite. Cut inside now, to the front lobby of the Q-Vault storage facility. Eugene and Pavlo are just inside the door, standing in a large security cage. A guard behind bulletproof glass waves them over to the cage door. Can I help you, sirs? Eugene steps forward, speaking now in his best Norwegian accent. Yeah, says Eugene. I believe you're expecting us. We're here to look inside your bullion vault. My partner and I arranged an appointment through your client, uh, Mr. Keith. The men hold up fake Norwegian passports, both arranged by Rolf Willy Hansen. We cut to Rolf on the other side of the planet, sitting in a toilet cubicle holding Peter Keith's stolen phone. Cut back to me now, still furiously typing into my laptop. Now cut back to the security guard on the other side of the cage at Q-Volts, squinting down at his computer monitor. Without a word, the guard leaves his post, then returns seconds later with three more men, two security guards and a clerk. The clerk approaches the glass. I'm sorry, gentlemen, says the clerk. There's no record of an appointment booked in for this morning. And uh, as you can imagine, with an ultra-secure, high-security vaulting service, we don't do walk-ups. Well then, says Eugene, you better call Mr. Keith right now and sort out this mess. Because I was assured by Mr. Keith himself that this appointment was arranged. I'm sorry, I'm afraid I can't do that. Eugene steps closer to the glass. My colleague and I are new arrivals in Australia. Naturally, we'd like to bring some of our investments with us. And if we're going to seriously consider Q-Volts as a reputable holder for our precious metals, we need to inspect your fucking vault. All right, my old cocker. <laughs> well, I, I understand the problem. My but... next meeting is in 34 minutes. You're already making me late. Now, are you going to call Peter or do I have to call him myself? The clerk drops his head for a second. Then... Spurred by a jolt of adrenaline, he scrabbles on one of those Britney Spears head mics and starts tapping keys into his desktop. Cut back to Rolf in Oslo, still sitting in the Kazi. Rolf jumps as Peter's phone starts ringing. Hand shaking, Rolf takes a cable from his pocket and connects Peter's phone to his own phone. Not yet. 
I say to Rolf through his earpiece. Just, I just need three more seconds. One more second. Okay, 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 go. Rolf hits the call button on both phones at the same time, connecting the unsuspecting guard at Q-Volts to the audio feed from my laptop sitting literally right across the street from them. Cut to the vault security desk. Eugene and Pavlo exchange a look as another two security guards enter the lobby. The clerk's call connects. Hello. Hello, uh, Mr. Keith, I'm... So sorry to bother you. Yes, this is Peter Keith. I'm extremely busy right now. I'm sorry, how long keep you up? I've got a beautiful horse here, and I need to participate in it. Uh, yeah, I, I completely understand. Well, this is uh, Jeffrey, your account manager from QVolts in Adelaide. I, uh, I have a Mr. Bjorn Nice here. Yes. And also a Mr. Bjorn Friendly. Yes. I arranged an appointment for two Norwegians last week. They want to look at your bull, Ian Vault. Right, yes. Well, in that case, there does seem to have been some kind of computer error. I'll book them in again right now. Um, in order to do that, Mr. Keith, would you terribly mind giving me your personal security password? No. Sorry, um, do you mean that you don't mind giving me your password or, 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 that, or that you you do mind? No. Wonderful. As long as you don't mind. Uh, whenever you're ready then, Mr. Keith. No. I'm extremely busy right now. I've got a beautiful horse here and I'm a ruthless bastard with a bit of an unhealthy obsession. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Keith, but as you know, I can't authorise anyone into the facility without your personal password. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that you're busy with um, what sounds like a magnificent steed, but um, I'm afraid we do need that password in order to progress. So if you could just give me that password, I will myself immediately escort these two men down to the bullion vault. Mr. Keith, sir. Your password. Boobies. Sorry, um... C could you just give that to me again? Boobies. Excellent, Mr. Keith. I'll see to your associates immediately. The account manager removes his headset. Sirs, please step back as I open the cage. Cut back to me in the cafe. I slam shut my laptop and head out the door. An ambulance screeches to a halt outside. I climb into the passenger seat. Next to me, in the driver position, Dr. Anjana Rao, dressed as a paramedic. I remove my coat to reveal the exact same uniform. Where's the case? I say. Case is in the back, says Anjana. Just where it's supposed to be. No problems, I say. Well, it's a bit of a custom job, says Anjana. I had to call in some favours with a few mutuals here, but nothing that would arouse suspicion. Anjana parks up the ambulance in a side alley. I remove my Art Garfunkel wig and fake beard and burn them. 
and Jana turns on the radio and tunes it to Nova 91.9. Ben's voice fills the ambulance. Okay then, the time now is 8.55. There's already been a lot of chat about this online this morning. Well, as promised, it's time now for a world record attempt. Cut to Eugene and Pavlo being escorted through a metal detector, then down a flight of stairs into a grey featureless corridor past rows of identical unmarked doors. The clerk, Jeffrey, leads the way, following his memorised map through the labyrinth. Eugene spots both a taser and pepper spray on Jeffrey's belt loop. The trio walk in silence. Eighth door here, third door there, down a flight of stairs, two corridors, then down two flights more. Camera close up on Pavlo's face, his lips silently parting as he counts the doors, building his own mental map for his and Eugene's escape. For a second, Pavlo's eyes flash upwards. We see what he sees, an extra thick orange power cable running along the ceiling. The cable runs parallel with their path for several turnings, eventually peeling off down a different corridor towards, one presumes, a customised vault containing a LN2 cryogenic freezer. Pavlo quickly returns his eyes to the back of Jeffrey's head. There is a security camera on every corner. The slightest cause for suspicion will bring the whole plan crashing down on them. They walk on. Two more corridors, down another flight, another three turnings, two more flights of stairs, deeper and deeper into the maze, until the trio finally reach the lowest level. And here, says Geoffrey, is our bullion vault. The grey paint of the higher levels has given way now to black metal. Despite the whine of the air filtration, there still feels like an oxygen deficit down here. Both Eugene and Pavlo loosen their ties. Under the scrutiny of four security cameras, Jeffrey unlocks the steel vault door, heaving it open. Cut now to Ben, standing over his microphone. Liam nervously paces up and down in the background. We hear the sounds of security trying to take the studio door off its hinges. Ben turns up his mic. Okay, he says. By now, you should all have your air conditioning units ready, so turn them on if you haven't yet. Crank them up to full power. If it doesn't seem enough, maybe turn on any other fans you have as well, all right? Get a real wind tunnel effect going. And now, together, Australia... As a nation, let's blow, Mr. President. Camera close up on the console as Ben hits play. As Marilyn Monroe begins to sing, we see a montage of breakfast show listeners, young and old, 
all decked out in makeshift Marilyn Monroe costumes. A geriatric wrapped in a white shower curtain, an eight-year-old with a crew cut, wearing his mum's wedding dress. Thousands and thousands of hands turning their AC units to full blast and stepping into position. One Marilyn after the other, after the other, like a Warhol print. The resemblance slowly disintegrating, pose by pose, blurring together into a haze of white fire, until all that remains is the surge of power running through it, flowing from one image into the next, the raw electricity required, now abstracted into a series of real-time graphs flickering on a computer monitor at the Pelican Point power station just outside Adelaide. Flashing numbers turning green to orange to red as 2,000 AC units across South Australia are cranked to exactly the same time. We cut now to the AEMO control centre Load shedding is already underway. Three tired-looking men bounce between phone calls to smelting plants, paper mills, requesting temporary halts. Someone says something about a potential cascade. On a monitor, a map turns from red to black, zone by zone. Meanwhile... Nine. Eugene and Pavlo stand at the entrance to the bullion vault. Geoffrey gestures inside. Gentlemen, after you. Eight. Mm, no, says Eugene. You go first. <laughs> no, says Geoffrey. I insist. After you. Seven. Listen, mate, says Eugene. In Norway, it is e- extremely bad fucking manners for a rich person to enter a room first, particularly a room without windows, actually. Six. Now, you enter this vault this instant. Otherwise, this vault inspection is going to be over before it even fucking begins. Five. On the other side of the city, the radio studio door finally splinters open. Two security guards haul Ben from his desk. Four. Meanwhile... At the peace conference in Oslo, Peter Keith is talking with a security guard. He points to Noma on the other side of the room. Yeah, he says. Yeah, that's her. Three. Jeffrey steps forward into the vault. So, here we are. The door is a Hamilton. Stainless steel, self-closing. The walls have a resistance grade of three, giving it a breach time of over 120 minutes. Two. Cut to Pelican Point Power Station. A woman holding a phone to each ear jumps up from her desk. Trevor! She yells. 300 megawatts. Cut it now! Close up of enter button, enter button, enter button, and... One. Adelaide goes dark. Traffic lights, televisions, landlines. 
Thousands of makeshift Marilyn Monroes across the country freeze in a moment of national collective oh chitness. Nova 91.9 dissolves into static. The lights of Ben's mixing desk cut to black. Ben and his security escorts now silhouetted against the drawn blinds. From our parked ambulance, and Jana and I watch the electrics flicker out across the length of Grenfell Street, vanishing up through all 26 floors of the black stump, including the security monitors in the Q-Vault security room, the alarm system, the lighting. Only a couple of rooms in the entire facility have their own independent backup power, but naturally, the bullion vault is one of them. The heavy steel door automatically swinging shut, trapping Jeffrey inside as Eugene and Pavlo are plunged into darkness. A darkness so thick so total that for a couple of seconds the audience might be fooled into wondering whether the film has snapped in the projector. For those audience members watching in a cinema, how do they know whether this is fictional darkness or the real thing? After all, could the power not have been shut off in the cinema also? The screen is black, the sound is mute, it could be real. Sitting there in the dark, in their comfy seats with their little bags of popcorn, how could anyone in the auditorium know for certain that they hadn't just been marked, brought into the heist in some way, made a secondary hit, part of some deeper plan hidden within the first? At this exact moment, sitting in the darkness, is... Something being stolen from them, too. Maybe. Or maybe it's just really dark in that basement right now. Either way, slowly, shadows begin to emerge on the screen. Our eyes gradually adapting to the low light. You still there? Says Eugene. Yeah. Says Pavlo. Right then, says Eugene. You're up, mate. Come on. Clock's ticking. Okay, so that is the end of part two of my Heist Story miniseries. Tune back in next month for the finale. You know what happens in the final act of Heist films. I don't think I need to spell it out. Anyway, hi. You have been listening to Imaginary Advice. Imaginary Advice is a monthly podcast of brand new 
audio storytelling. My name is Ross Sutherland. I wrote and produced this episode. Each time this show comes around, uh, I try a new format, try and come up with, uh, I don't know, some kind of new way of telling stories. I like writing games where I put myself in a corner and then try and write my way out of it. And I think this episode, (laughs) I think this episode is a fair demonstration of that. Um, As you hopefully remember, the heist crew for this miniseries were generated arbitrarily using the random article function on Wikipedia. I say generated, not inspired or based upon, because really all I did was use the professions of these real life people as a narrative starting point in the creation of a series of completely fictional characters. None of the real life people contained within those Wikipedia pages would ever ever conspire together to steal a bag of synthetic Charles Dickens blood. They would never do it. They would never do it. This is a work of fiction. For full contact information about this podcast, for anything, uh, go to www.imaginaryadvice.com. Finally, this podcast is free. <laughs> it contains no adverts. It has no sponsors. I do it every month. If you'd like to support the show and ease my running costs, consider making a monthly donation to my Patreon. You can do that by going to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Ross G Sutherland. $5 a month or more gets you a bonus making off podcast, which comes out every month. Or if you don't want to do a monthly thing, uh, but you still want to kick me a couple of bucks, uh, you can make a one-off donation to buymeacoffee.com forward slash imaginary advice. Thank you so much to anyone who already does that or has done that in the past. I'm so grateful. Thank you. Anyway, I'll be back next month with the final installment of this story mini series. Until then, my name is Ross Sutherland. Thanks for listening.